Simply put, the Baltimore Orioles absolutely had to win Tuesday night's game to keep their wildcard hopes alive. And what did they do? They picked up a huge comeback victory. I'll recap the win for the Orioles, plus talk about a couple more pitchers that they claimed off waivers over the last week, coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, September 7th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap a ginormous win for the Orioles as they come back to beat the Blue Jays 9-6 on Tuesday night and keep themselves right in this AL wildcard race. I'll get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles win. Plus, we'll talk about a couple of waiver claim relievers, Jake Reed and Anthony Castro, that the Orioles have picked up over the last week, and Reed was actually activated to the Orioles roster on Tuesday. We'll talk about how each of them could help the Orioles bullpen moving forward. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all platforms, new episodes every day, Monday through Friday, and we're right here on the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel as well. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the channel. And we've already done one giveaway here on the Orioles YouTube channel and uh, giving away the Cedric Mullins bobblehead. But, uh, as you can see here, if you're watching on YouTube, I've got some pretty cool Orioles cards to give away. Now, to be entered, you have to be subscribed to the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel. So even if you're just an audio listener, completely appreciate you. Thank you so much. But if you could head over to the YouTube page and hit that subscribe button, you're going to be entered in to win. I got some, some Eddie Murray, some Jim Palmer, some Brooks Robinson here you could win some pretty sweet Orioles cards. But again, we thank you, the listener, for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for your first listen today, we start with a giant, giant Orioles win. Final score, O's 9, Blue Jays 6 on Tuesday night at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in Game 3 of a four-game series that could do a lot to decide the final spot in the AL wildcard race. I know it's only September 7th. There's still almost a month to go, but... These are some high, high leverage games. The Orioles win it. They get to 72 and 64 on the season. They pull back within three and a half games of Toronto for that final spot. Now, as I'm recording here about 11.30 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday, the Rays already won with an 8-4 win over the Red Sox. The Mariners are winning in the sixth inning against the White Sox. Let's just... Eh, let's just assume that uh, they're going to win that game as well. And the Twins and Yankees were postponed. So looks like the O's will stay the five games back of Seattle and Tampa that they are. But getting within three and a half of Toronto is big for the O's. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 9-6 victory over the Blue Jays. And the first thing you need to know, this was a Brandon Hyde managerial masterclass because it was September 6th, and he managed this game like a playoff game. And quite frankly, he did exactly what he should have in a must-win game for the Orioles. And it really all started in the fourth inning. Kyle Bradish had 
gotten hit around a little bit early. Gave up a run in the second, two in the third. The Orioles' offense came back, which we'll talk about, put up a five-run third. And Bradish goes back to the hill with a 5-3 lead in the top of the fourth. Well, he gives up back-to-back singles. There's runners on first and third with nobody out. He's up over 60 pitches in the fourth inning. And Brandon Hyde says that's it. He had Dylan Tate warming basically at the beginning of that fourth inning. And Hyde goes to Dylan Tate, his second best reliever, in the fourth inning of a regular season game. He was not messing around in this one. And it was interesting because, of course, as you know, in game two of the doubleheader on Monday, after Jordan Lyles was scratched, Keegan Aiken started, pitched into the third, Brandon Hyde went to Nick Vespi in a big spot in the third inning. Vespi gives up the three-run homer to Bo Bichette that leads the Blue Jays to victory in game two of that doubleheader. And Hyde said after the game he just didn't want to go to a guy like Tate or Perez as early as the third inning. Well, maybe he literally just meant the third inning because as early as the fourth inning, he went to Dylan Tate on Tuesday night. And it's something he had the ability to do because he had a fairly rested bullpen. And I got to shout out Bruce Zimmerman for that. I mean, Zimmerman, yeah, he got hit around a little bit. He gave up five runs in game two of the doubleheader yesterday. But what he did do is pitch six innings in relief for the Orioles on Monday, completely saved their bullpen, and allowed Hyde to manage like he did on Tuesday night. And Hyde just pulled all the right strings. He goes to Dylan Tate for five outs. Tate came in, got out of that jam without allowing a run. Then he goes to CNL Perez to finish the fifth, get through the sixth. And Brian Baker even did enough to keep the O's in the lead. And then he went to Felix Bautista for a six-out save, and he got the job done. And it wasn't just on the pitching side where Hyde was managing well and making the right decisions. In the top of the eighth inning, after Anthony Santander had batted in the bottom of the seventh, the Orioles were leading six to five, and Santander was due up sixth in the bottom of the eighth. A lot of times, a lot of managers, and maybe even Brandon Hyde earlier this year, would have gone ahead and put in Ryan McKenna as the defensive replacement in right field in the top of the eighth inning. You're trying to protect a one-run lead against a really good Blue Jays lineup. Obviously, McKenna much better defensively in the outfield than Santander is. And you figure, although Santander has been one of your best hitters, if he's due up sixth, what are the chances he's going to hit one more time in the bottom of the eighth? But Hyde does not go to McKenna. He keeps Santander in there. And wouldn't you know it, Santander comes up with the bases loaded and two outs in the bottom of the eighth, works a crucial walk to get the O's a big insurance run, and then Hyde pinch runs for him with McKenna, and of course McKenna plays the ninth defensively in right field. And that was a huge decision. Many managers would have just gone with McKenna. Ryan McKenna would have hit in that spot in the eighth. Maybe he gets out, and maybe it's just a 6-5 game in the top of the ninth, and we're doing a lot more sweating with Felix Bautista facing the top of the order in which he did give up a run in the top of that ninth inning. How big was that decision? It was huge. And then Brandon Hyde as well on the two-run single by Ryan Mountcastle in the eighth inning when Adley Rutschman was initially called out at the plate, Hyde immediately out of the dugout to challenge it immediately. And the O's get the call on the blocking the plate rule to get that ninth run, which was another big insurance run. I think Brandon Hyde did a fantastic job with the cards he was dealt. He really got put in a bad spot in the doubleheader Monday with Jordan Lyles getting scratched. There was almost no right answers for that bullpen in game two, but he pulled all the right strings in this one, and you got to give him credit. And right now, he's probably the front runner for AL Manager of the Year, and this game did a lot to help his case. Second thing you need to know from this one is that, well, Hyde kind of had to manage like that, or at least was put in the position to manage the game like that and to go to Dylan Tate in the fourth inning. 
Because Kyle Bradish really struggled in this one. And it was a little surprising because Bradish's last two starts have been absolutely dominant. Of course, coming off of 15 consecutive scoreless innings, the eight scoreless in Houston, then the seven scoreless in Cleveland, he just did not have the same stuff in this game. His final line, he pitches into the fourth inning without getting an out. So it's three plus innings, three runs on six hits, three Ks, two walks, and a homer allowed on 66 pitches for Kyle Bradish, allowing seven hard hit balls in those three plus innings of work. And he just wasn't the Bradish we've seen over the last couple of starts. Now, I will say his slider was working. He got 10 whiffs on 32 swings, seven of them coming on the slider, which he threw much more than his other pitches. 28 sliders, 42% by far his most used pitch of the night. And he kept going to it and going to it, and he kept getting the swings and misses. But the rest of his stuff, I mean, the four-seamer was okay. The velo was a little bit up. He was just getting hit around a lot, a lot of hard contact. And I wouldn't, you know, freak out that he's going to be like this the rest of the season. Obviously, with the slider getting that many swings and misses in that short time, you still feel pretty good about his stuff moving forward. Just hopefully a blip on the radar for Bradish, and his bullpen certainly came in and picked him up in this one. Because the third thing you need to know from the Orioles' 9-6 win is that the bullpen not only picked up Kyle Bradish, but they really did pick up Brandon Hyde because there is a scenario where Hyde goes to Dylan Tate in the fourth and he lets those two runs score. And maybe CNL Perez isn't perfect or Felix Bautista doesn't have the juice to get through six outs. And then all of a sudden, you know, the game is tied or the O's trail by one in the ninth and you're out of relievers. Or there's even a spot where the O's offense keeps you in it and you're maybe up a run in the ninth, but you have already burned Bautista, Perez, and Tate, and you don't really know what to do. But the bullpen stepped up and helped out Brandon Hyde in this one. You talk about Dylan Tate. I mean, he comes in first and third, nobody out in the fourth inning. Gets out of the jam without allowing a run. Now, he did allow a run in the fifth inning when he went back out there, but he throws 30 pitches, gets the Orioles five outs. CNL Perez comes in, gets the final out of the fifth, gets through a scoreless sixth as well. Had a couple of hanging breaking balls, but got away from him. He gets some four outs. And then really the biggest outs the Orioles got in this game were in the seventh inning. Brian Baker comes in after a big Cedric Mullins RBI single bottom six, had given the O's a six to four lead heading into the top of the seventh. And, you know, Tate was out. You figured Perez was done after getting four outs, throwing 17 pitches. And with a full righty lineup in Toronto, you don't want CNL Perez, the lefty, in there for too, too long. So you're thinking... All right, there's no way Brandon Hyde's going to get nine outs out of Felix Bautista. So how does he bridge the gap from Perez to Bautista? Because Baker's been struggling, Crable's been struggling, and your other options are guys like Yenier Cano and Jake Reed who haven't pitched in the big leagues for you all season. You're not going to go to those guys in that spot. And the other guy, Keegan Aiken, wasn't even available after starting Game two of the doubleheader on Monday. So they were in quite a tough spot. And the choice was really either Baker or Crable. And he goes with Baker, even though both have struggled, because Baker just has the better stuff. It gave him a better chance to win. And although Brian Baker did give up a run, he gets a big double play after allowing back-to-back base hits to start the inning. Then again, he gives up the run, but he gets a huge strikeout to end the inning. And Brian Baker was fired up. And it caused the benches to clear in this game. He was hearing chirping from the Blue Jay dugout, of course, Baker's former team. 
So he played for his entire career in the minors, pitched one game with the Blue Jays last year in the bigs before they DFA'd him in the offseason, and the Orioles claimed him. And he gave him the little, you know, chirp, chirp sign back after getting the big strikeout to end the seventh and keep the Orioles in the lead. And that Blue Jays dugout spilled out. Now, nobody got ejected, and there's not going to be any suspensions. There wasn't any punches thrown, but it was looking a little testy. Now, of course, Rignot Adore against the Blue Jays, he's going to clear things up real quickly and get those guys to retreat back to the dugout. But listen, Baker hasn't had the best last couple of months, but I like the fire that I saw from him because he needed those outs and he got them for the Orioles. And then the O's go to the mountain. And Felix Bautista, who does have one five-out save this year and has pitched two innings once before this year, both in August against the White Sox, got an even bigger thing today. A six-out save for Felix Bautista. He goes one, two, three in the top of the eighth, protecting that 6-5 lead. The Orioles get him some insurance. He does give up a run in the top of the ninth, but closes it down with two innings, 25 pitches, two strikeouts to get the save. It was just a fantastic job by the Orioles' pen when they needed it, and they only got nine outs out of their starter after getting seven outs from their starter in their last game of a doubleheader yesterday. And they really, really stepped up to the plate. But the fourth thing you need to know from this one is that, hey, the Orioles' offense got things done too. We've been talking about them not coming through. How about nine runs in this game? I mean, that is a pretty huge reason why the Orioles were able to win this game. And really, what it all came down to was a couple of big innings. And the first one was that big inning in the third. Orioles go down 3 nothing early. Things aren't feeling great, but then they start to rally. Rugnet Odor with a good plate appearance draws a walk. Jorge Mateo draws a walk. Cedric Mullins gets hit by a pitch. All of a sudden, the bases are loaded with nobody out. Adley Rutschman just flips a little two-run double down the line to make it 3-2. Santander, a productive out with an RBI ground out. Mount Castle, an RBI single. Henderson, an RBI single. All of a sudden, it's 5-3 Orioles after a five-run third inning. It was the first time they had scored five runs in an inning since that wild game against the Red Sox back on August 19th when the Orioles won 15-10, and they scored five runs in the fifth inning of that one. They only did it twice entirely in the month of August, but they get the big inning that they needed. And really they got things done offensively in two big innings because the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one is that not only did the O's have the one big inning, then they fell off a little bit offensively, but they came back in a big, big way and got things done in the eighth inning as well. When they needed some insurance runs to help out Felix Bautista, they load the bases with two outs, Santander draws the walk, and then Ryan McKenna delivers, or excuse me, Ryan Mountcastle delivers, continues to kill the Blue Jays with a two-run single to make it a 9-5 game. And those were just some gigantic hits for the Orioles, who after going one for 19 with runners in scoring position in that three-game losing streak against the A's and the doubleheader against the Jays, they went six for 11 with runners in scoring position in Tuesday night's game, and that really is kind of the big reason why the O's came away with a huge 9-6 win to get back within three and a half games of the wild card race. But the O's not only added a win, they also added a couple of players to the active roster on Tuesday in Yenier Cano and Jake Reed to help out a visibly a, a bit tired bullpen. And Reed is one of two pitchers they've actually claimed on waivers over the last couple of weeks, Anthony Castro as well. And coming up next, we're going to talk about these new pitchers and kind of give you a little scouting report on them, how they could help the Orioles. First up is Jake Reed, the sidewinding right-hander. We're going to talk about him coming up 
in a moment. But if you're looking for a great snack to celebrate a fantastic Orioles win, you're going to want to try the Built Bar Puffs. Because if you haven't tried them, you truly are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. This cookie dough Built Bar Puff is delicious. Now, what's a puff? It is a protein-infused marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate with real cookie dough chunks. It's the only thing like it out there. And the cookie dough chunk puffs are only 160 calories, and they have a whopping 15 grams of protein. And here's the thing. You're going to love these cookie dough chunk puffs, but they have so many other products at Built as well, like all the Built bars covered in chocolate, all the great flavors, all the protein, good for you as well. So whether you need a snack for your workout, a late night treat, or just need to grab a quick bite, Built is the perfect protein bar. So go to built.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code LOCKEDON15 for 15% off at built.com. So with the doubleheader being played on Monday and the Orioles using multiple guys for multiple innings, a lot of pitches, they had to make some roster moves on Tuesday to get you know a couple more healthy and fresh arms into the Oriole bullpen. And they did just that. And, and one of those moves even coincided with a couple of waiver claims that the Orioles have made on relief pitchers over the last couple of weeks. So wanted to start with the moves that the Orioles made on Tuesday before the game and break them down because they added two pitchers to the active roster. The first being Yenier Cano. Now, if you're not familiar with Cano, he was one of the four pitchers who the Orioles acquired from the Minnesota Twins in the Jorge Lopez trade back on deadline day. Now, the other three pitchers are still in the minor leagues, Cade Povich being in AA, the other two in the lower minors. But Cano was a guy who had already had some big league experience with the Twins this season. Now, when he was traded, he was down in AAA because his numbers were not great in the big leagues with the Twins, but he was a guy who, you know, 28 years old, a right-hander in Cano, who's got some big velocity, good splitter, throws in a slider, who could get guys out at the major league level, and he's going to be there to try and help the Orioles here. Now, he does have a 5.91 ERA in 10 and two-thirds innings with the Norfolk Tides, but you got to look a little closer there because he had one appearance, his second appearance with Norfolk, where he recorded one out and gave up five runs. Since then, Cano has allowed only one earned run in his previous nine and a third innings out of the Tides bullpen. That will play his last appearance over the weekend, two scoreless innings and four strikeouts with just one hit for Cano. It's a good fastball splitter combination, and he will come up and help the bullpen. Now being optioned was, of course, Bruce Emerson, who... Just gave the O's his all, really, and, and took one for the team, throwing six innings, 92 pitches in relief in Game 2 on Monday. Did allow the five runs, but he at least saved the bullpen. And then Nick Vespi was optioned to AAA as well. Vespi, of course, gave up the go-ahead three-run homer in the third inning to Bo Bichette in Game 2 of Monday's doubleheader. He's been very up and down with his effectiveness. He's been weird kind of where he's been used. And this is the fifth and final option for Nick Vespi this year. In the new CBA this year, you can't be optioned more than five times in one season. This is Vespi's fifth option. So if the Orioles do call him up again to the big leagues before this season is over, which I figure is probably going to happen, they cannot option him again. If they do, they would have to put him on waivers. So if the O's do call Vespi up again this year, you can expect him to be with the big league team for the remainder of the season 
after he is called up. That'll be something for the O's to think about if they call him up again. So it might delay him getting back to the bigs, but I would think at some point, probably at the end of the year, he's back in the big league bullpen. But the other guy the Orioles added to the big league bullpen, take Vespi's spot, is the right-handed pitcher Jake Reed, who has some major league experience over the last two years with the Mets and the Dodgers. Now, the Orioles actually claimed Jake Reed in the middle of the doubleheader on Monday, picked him up off waivers after he was DFA'd by the Dodgers. And Reed has had really an interesting career so far. He was a fifth-round pick by the Twins back in 2014. The right-handed pitcher, now 29 years old, actually turns 30 later this month and has only pitched for the Mets and the Dodgers in his big league career. Made his big league debut in July of last year, but actually had an interesting case where he pitched for the Dodgers, was DFA'd, the Mets claimed him. He stayed with the Mets for the rest of last year. Then he was with the Mets early this year. And then the Mets DFA'd him this July. And then the Dodgers claimed him back. The Dodgers used him for five or six appearances. And then they DFA'd him. And now the Orioles get to read. Now, what you need to know about Jake Reed, first of all, very, very funky delivery from the right side. It's kind of a straight-up sidearm. It's not really submarine. It's not over the top. It's, it's straight up almost 90 degrees. He kind of whips the ball behind his back and then fires it forward. It's, it's very interesting. Go watch some video um, on Jake Reed. I'll put some on the Locked On Orioles Twitter account. But it's definitely deceptive against hitters. And this year in the major leagues, combined with the Mets and the Dodgers, up and down numbers. 10 appearances, 11 innings, a 7.36 ERA for Reed, who in those 11 innings has allowed 10 hits, 9 runs, with 8 strikeouts, 7 walks, and two homers allowed. Now, it really is the tale of two different stints. You have his first stint with the Mets before getting DFA'd. Six and a third innings out of the Mets bullpen, eight runs, four hits, six Ks, six walks, and two homers. Then he gets claimed by the Dodgers, and you have Reed's stint with the Dodgers. Five appearances, four and two-thirds innings, one run, Six hits, two strikeouts, one walk, and no home runs, including a save against the Mets last week in City Field. He definitely figured a few things out in his week or two with the Dodgers. He finished up his time in L.A. with four consecutive scoreless appearances out of the Dodgers' bullpen before they just were getting guys back who were better and didn't have any room for him on the 40-man roster. That's why they DFA'd him. Now, he did have better numbers in the big leagues last year. 10 innings, 10 strikeouts, 2 walks, a 3-6-0 ERA in 2021. And in AAA this season for Reed, he obviously has a larger sample size between the Mets and Dodgers AAA teams. 23 and a third innings, he has a 3.09 ERA in AAA. 20 hits, 26 strikeouts, and 8 walks in those 23 and a third innings. So the stuff is certainly effective. He's, he's basically mostly a sinker slider guy. This season has thrown his sinker about 45% of the time. It's a 92-mile-per-hour pitch. Opponents hitting just 176 and slugging just 235 against that sinker. Simply put, they beat that thing into the ground. That sinker has an incredible ground ball rate for Jake Reed. And the reason why they don't get slugging off it is even when they're getting hits, they're basically all singles and their ground ball singles through a hole. It's a, it does a great job of keeping the ball on the ground. Now, his strikeout pitch is his slider. He throws that pitch, again, 43% of the time. So almost, not 50-50, obviously, but almost equal between his slider and and his sinker. Now the slider is about 81 miles per hour. It's got solid break, but guys have hit it a little better. A 333 batting average against it and a 762 slugging percentage against that slider, which 
has been a problem for him. Now, it does have a 30% whiff rate, but he's given up some big hits. His home runs have come against the slider. The extra base hits have come against the slider. And he's actually thrown the slider a lot less this season because of that. That was by far his main pitch in the big leagues last year. Last season, he threw the slider 63% of the time. This year, just down to 43% because it hasn't been as effective. And his sinker has been so much better. Now, he does have two other pitches that he will mix in. There's a four-seam fastball that he's thrown 18 times this year. They've all been to left-handed batters. It's basically just to mix things up a little bit. And then there's a changeup that was new for this year that he added to the repertoire. Again, has barely thrown. He's thrown seven changeups. Again, they've all been to left-handed batters just to get something different against lefties because, as you can imagine, with a sidearm right-hander, he gets righties out at a much better clip than he gets lefties out, and that's kind of just something that happens for sidearm righties. Righties hitting 222 against him in his big league career with a 607 OPS. Lefties hitting 316 against him with an 1132 OPS in the big league. So what you're going to see Jake Reed is facing 90 plus percent right-handers, be a middle reliever. He's not going to get save opportunities with the Orioles like he got a couple of times with the Dodgers. He can also, you know, pitch multiple innings at a time if you need him to, potentially in a blowout game. But He's just some assurance to have for the Orioles for the next couple of days. He could be optioned shortly after that, but he is definitely an intriguing sidearm arm for the Orioles to have up in the bullpen. So he was the guy they claimed earlier this week and eventually did put on the active roster. Now, the Orioles did actually make another claim last week for a right-handed pitcher who has not been placed on the active roster yet and is just in AAA, and that is Anthony Castro. And coming up next, we'll learn a little more about him as well and if he could be maybe a bullpen help for the Orioles later this season. So we're talking about the Orioles making some waiver claims, adding some relievers to the roster, of course, calling up Yenier Cano yesterday, who they got in the Jorge Lopez trade, and also calling up Jake Reed, who they claimed off waivers from the Dodgers. Now, to make room for Reed on the 40-man roster, the Orioles actually put Jonathan Arauz on the restricted list. Now, that is because he is currently away from the team where he was with the AAA Norfolk Tides. We don't have any further information on Arauz, but because he's away from the team, he can be put on the restricted list and open up a 40-man roster spot. Whenever he would come back, obviously, the O's would need to make another move, but that's how they got Reed onto the roster. But last week, they actually added another player to the 40-man roster, and that was the right-handed pitcher, Anthony Castro, who the Orioles claimed off waivers from the Cleveland Guardians after he was DFA'd by Cleveland earlier in the week. Now, Castro's actually been in the big league since he made his major league debut with one appearance in the shortened 2020 season, but he's another guy who you know is currently in AAA but could potentially help the Orioles at the big leagues if they needed him this year. Now, he actually started the season with Toronto, but right before opening day, he was traded from the Blue Jays to Cleveland for the outfielder Bradley Zimmer, who has basically spent time this year as the defensive replacement in center field for the Blue Jays. Now, initially, Castro, the right-hander, was signed out of Venezuela as an international free agent back in 2011, finally got to the big leagues with Detroit in 2020 before being DFA'd. He was claimed by the Blue Jays, pitched out of their bullpen all of 2021, and then was pitching out of the Cleveland bullpen 
this season. Overall for Castro in his big league career, 38 appearances, 39 innings, a 6.00 ERA. In the 39 innings, he's allowed 43 hits. He has struck out 45, but walked 19 and allowed 10 home runs in that stretch. And this year with the Guardians, it was not good. That's why he basically spent the entire month of August in AAA before the Guardians even DFA'd him off the 40-man roster. Earlier in the year with Cleveland, 12 appearances out of their bullpen. He had a 7.43 ERA. In 13 and a third innings of work, he allowed 19 hits, struck out just 12, and walked 10 while allowing five home runs in 12 appearances out of the Cleveland bullpen. It was not good. But it was odd because he had had some pretty good numbers in AAA this year, about 30 innings, a 3.94 ERA, 39 strikeouts with also 20 walks. Not terrible. Walk numbers aren't great. But Castro had been at least surprising and serviceable with the Blue Jays last season, a, a Blue Jays team that was, you know, in the playoff race the whole year. He pitched in 24 and two-thirds innings out of the Toronto bullpen last year, had a 4.74 ERA, and he struck out 32 batters while walking just eight in about 25 innings. That is a really good ratio. And then he just couldn't throw strikes again in 2022. So for the Orioles, you're basically making a claim here hoping that you can get the 2021 version of Anthony Castro back. Now, he hasn't pitched in the big league since July 24th with Cleveland, and his AAA numbers have been okay. But he's generally a guy who, you know, he's gotten right-handed batters out at a better clip throughout his career, but wasn't a crazy splits guy last year. This year, he's gotten righties out. He basically hasn't gotten any lefties out. Lefties hitting almost 500 against Castro this year. But in terms of the stuff, he is a high-volume slider guy. He throws his slider 49% of the time. It's about an 84-mile-per-hour pitch, and it is his best pitch. Opponents hit just 207 off that slider. It's got a 38% whiff rate, and it is a good one if he can at least land it in the strike zone from time to time. Now, the issue is his fastball. He throws the four-seam fastball about 45% of the time, or 40% of the time, excuse me. It's 95 miles per hour. Opponents in the big leagues this year hit 500 against Castro's fastball. 500 they hit against his fastball. He's been trying to throw a sinker in there. That pitch is getting hit at 667, and he's thrown six change-ups in the big leagues as well to try and get some lefties out. So basically, he's a guy who fits the mold of seemingly every relief pitcher that the Orioles continue to claim on waivers. We talked about Jake Reed earlier in this episode. The reason they claim him, well, he's got a really good sinker and he's got that funky motion. So he's kind of got two things. Anthony Castro, well, he seems to have an elite slider. Can he figure out a fastball to get himself into the big leagues? That's what the Orioles are hoping they can do for him. And that's why they've claimed him. Now, I don't think Castro stays for long. Now, he did take Phoenix Sanders' spot on the 40-man roster. The Orioles DFA'd Sanders to make room for Castro, and Sanders did end up clearing waivers. So he stays in the Orioles organization with AAA Norfolk just off the 40-man roster. Of course, the O's had claimed Sanders a couple of weeks ago off waivers from the Rays. And I could certainly see them trying to do the same thing with Anthony Castro. If there's another player who comes back, potentially a Grayson Rodriguez, who they need to add to the 40-man roster, or maybe someone else to get to the big leagues, I could see them DFAing Castro, hoping he slips all the way through waivers this time, and they can keep him in AAA like they're doing with Sanders and other guys, try and work on their stuff to turn them into big league relievers come 2023. And that's kind of been the plan 
for Mike Elias. And really what this shows, the claim of Jake Reed and the claim of Castro and some of these guys that they've picked up is that the Orioles seem fairly content to just kind of build a bullpen out of failed starting pitcher prospects who turn into relievers and waiver claims. And they've done it pretty well this year. They've got a top five bullpen with all rookies and waiver claims. I mean, that's how they've done it, and it's worked out. And in Major League Baseball in 2022 and beyond, when there's so much data on these guys, and if you can kind of mold a guy down to a two-pitch guy, you can really bring out the best traits in him. And if you only have to use him for one or two innings at a time, pitchers become better. And it's almost a lot easier to find relievers that are diamonds in the rough. Now, not everybody's going to turn out to be like Felix Bautista, but a lot of guys can turn out to be, you know, Brian Baker or Joey Crable when they were at their best this year, where you kind of get them for nothing off waivers and they are good middle relievers for you that help you win games. And maybe a guy like Joey Crable isn't long for the Orioles bullpen next year, but you claim these guys like Jake Reed and Anthony Castro because you're trying to find the next Joey Crable for when he maybe flames out, you can replace them with another reliever. Now, would it be better to go sign a veteran reliever at the back end of the bullpen? Maybe it would, but the O's seem like they're going to spend their money when they do, and hopefully they do this offseason elsewhere, and the bullpen is going to kind of be built like this. So they just keep taking these waiver claims, these flyers on guys. Some of them work out, some of them don't. But when they do work out, it's a huge success because they got these guys for nothing, and they turn them into big league relievers, and that's what they hope can happen here with Jake Reed and with Anthony Castro. But that'll do it for today's episode of the pod. Of course, we'll still be back with you two more times here this week. And again, we thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first listen every day. But as you know, the NFL season starts tomorrow night. So for your second listen, go check out the Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 an eight-episode extravaganza to get you ready for the NFL season. The local team experts of the Lock On Podcast Network, including Kevin Ostreicher from Locked On Ravens, plus a betting angle from Lee Sterling of Locked On Bets, all combining into one Ultimate NFL Preview. Search for Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we thank you for listening and watching here today. I'll be back tomorrow on the pod. We'll, of course, recap the final game between the Orioles and the Blue Jays. Hopefully things are looking up for the O's come that recap in Thursday's episode. We'll talk about the O's wildcard chances moving forward. And also coming up a little later this week, we've got a cool interview with a new Orioles prospect who they acquired at the deadline. I think you're all going to be excited to hear that one. But we're back with Orioles Talk tomorrow. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.